Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this latest version of uh, Tales, Tales from Outer Space, where I take an HFY story from somewhere around the internet and read it aloud for your enjoyment. All the relevant links are down below. Like, subscribe, and all that YouTube comf to help this video and channel grow. Anyways, as always, I hope that you enjoy. I would like to give a quick thanks to our Tier 5 channel members and patrons. Fallen Angel, Buzz Killington. Thank you again. Now on to the story. Story number one. Return Visitors, written by Because I Said So Too. When China landed the first manned spaceship on Mars, humanity was immediately contacted by aliens. Formerly concealed by dark matter, it turned out that space was filled with intelligent life that had been eagerly waiting to meet us. First contact was initiated through radio and television, was in all languages. The announcement stated that now that we were interplanetary species, we had earned the right to be contacted by the multitude of alien species that had been observing humanity for tens of thousands of years. They said that they were happy to have seen us progress to this point, and that they were thrilled to welcome us into a larger community of intelligent life. Over the next few years, Earth was besieged by tourists from space. They were an hallucinatory parade of figures of all shapes and sizes, ranging from microscopic to towering. They came bearing gifts, technology, medical breakthroughs, and seemed only to want one thing. To talk to humans, any human, about any and every aspect of their lives. Initially fearful and skeptical, our predominant feelings towards the visitors gradually gave way to one of bemused flattery. While we were interested in their cultures, biology, and technology, they seemed to be interested in us as individuals. Over and over again we were told how special and unique we were, and how long that they had waited to meet us. I was fascinated with the aliens as well and when the first visiting centers where humans and aliens could meet were opened, I volunteered to be a liaison. I got to serve as a type of tour guide and intermediary between the visiting humans and the visitors beyond the stars. Over my time working there, I even got to know some of the aliens personally. One, a creature who charmingly referred to himself as Jumble, took a personal interest in me and my life. Jumble looked like a three-foot-tall fuzzy octopus with nearly comical enlarged eye gear and a breathing apparatus. Despite his odd appearance, over time the two of us became close friends, perhaps best friends. He seemed to love and appreciate me unconditionally and seemed anxious to help me in a way that he could. For example, when learning of a rare medical condition my family was genetically prone to, he provided me with a cure that I passed along to my doctor to share with a larger medical community. These sorts of information transfers were common. The aliens seemed eager to assist us in any way possible, but with one glaring exception. They offered us no advice on spacefaring technology. They said that was the responsibility of every species to develop of their own. Over time, this became a bone of contention. A segment of society grew angry that while aliens were more than happy to visit Earth, 
they refused to open the larger universe up to us. The anger grew and predictably exploded into violence. The visiting center I worked at was bombed and partially destroyed. I wasn't scheduled to work that day, but received the news of the attack and an urgent message. Jumble was badly hurt, wouldn't have long to live, and that he desperately wanted to see me one last time. I rushed to the visiting center. When I arrived, Jumble was in a terrible condition. He was badly burned, half of his limbs had been crushed, and his eye gear had been smashed, nearly blinding him. I sat beside his medical bed, crying, and he held them to the tip of his tentacles. The texture was similar to a warm peach, and I could feel that it was trembling. He was still able to communicate, though. His voice, though through the translation device, quivered and squealed with feedback. It was a sound I knew denoted strong emotion. He told me the aliens understood, and that they weren't angry at all. They wouldn't hold humanity accountable for the actions of a few angry members of our species. They had been watching us a long time, and weren't terribly surprised that this happened. In fact, Jumble said that he'd even return personally in another body. This was the first reference I, or anyone of Earth as far as I knew, had heard about aliens' belief about their afterlife. It was a subject that usually seemed uncomfortable talking about. Understandably curious, I probed deeper. Are you an avatar of some kind? I asked. If so, what does your real body look like, and where are you? Jumble's translator made a slight squeal and a popping sound. Sounds I attributed to denoting both sadness and amusement. No... This was the body I was born into, but my essence, my personality, will be reborn on my home planet. This will happen to all the alien visitors destroyed today. It's happened thousands of times in the past. It'll just take a while for me to return to Earth, and I'll never see you again. I've grown to care about you, and I am deeply distressed about that. The statement ended with a low, prolonged squeal that I knew denoted intense grief. I struggled to understand what he was saying. Jumble seemed to be implying that not only would he be reincarnated, but that he'd remember his previous life, and even return to Earth at some point in the future. Jumble, you are saying that you have proof of the afterlife and reincarnation, I said, my voice shaking with joy and emotion. That's amazing news. That means that we can see each other again. Just find me, my reincarnation, and remind me of our friendship. Jumble's tentacles squeezed my hand tightly. Through the sound of the breathing apparatus, I could hear his breathing start to hitch and fade. With the last of his strength, this was what he told me, and his words were accompanied by a low squeal as the translation device. No... That's impossible. Humans don't survive death and aren't reborn. You're the only intelligent species that doesn't. That's why you're all so fascinating to us. Each of you is so unique and special. You live once for a short period of time and never return again. That's why I'm sad to say, my friend. I will miss you. 
End of story. Story number two. Sierra, written by Betty Master. The title given to me was Elmroth, Holder of Hearts. I'm alone now, with none of my kind near to hold hearts with. So, I am not wrath. I am one of many, left here on floating debris. I am old enough to know, old enough to understand. The others look to me for guidance, but I am not there for them. This place lies on the boundary between Nordan and Borkana. An asteroid belt turned into production line, abandoned, and now filled with trash, derelict ships, and orphans. I wonder the eroded halls have pieced together why they left so quickly, why we were alone. I know, but I do not tell. I am lucky. My kind leaves their children in their youth to be taught by the world, the greatest teacher. Here... I am the greatest student, the only of the wrath kind. There are many others, almost fifty, each with needs and temperaments and desires partial to their kind. The Jehens, with their hard shells and slow movements. The Lagbanak, silent, watching, brewing. The Arlem, so fast and energetic that they heat the ground that they pass over. We are many cast aside left in this place as remnants of a skirmish. But there is one. Her name is Sierra. She gathers the children to her and provides the proper sustenance for each and every one of them. She gives each one a place and a purpose, bringing order to the slum. She is the mother, the father, the clan head, the nest builder, the queen. I do not partake. I do not need. Always, though. I find myself returning to the decrepit home of Sierra and watching as she cares for those around her. It is strange, I think, for one to expend energy for those that are not of your own kind, but she does so without thought. She cradles the shivering clane child and fans the boiling randestran. She works her garden to produce food for others and herself. She does not sit to eat until everyone has had its spell. She stands between the Kaldar and the Hagenov to prevent bloodshed, yet disciplines the unruly. She learns from the world as I do, but with a different meaning. This applies the dwindling, I know. She knows as well. Yet she will allow none to go hungry save herself. I bring her food I have created at times when she stands beneath the bright moons and looks out at the stars. She thinks they will return. She is right, but she will not see it. I know that she saves the food for others, but I bring it anyway to see her take a bite. Her hair is long, her face is kind, her hands worn and weary. One day they came, for me the only remaining wrath in the system. I hid and was not seen. But they hunted for me. They smashed her garden and broke her home. But Sierra would not tell them of the wrath. Of me. They took her away and left the rest to die. I could have gone with them, unknown, unseen. But I didn't. I stayed. 
I am now Algaroth, holder of the hearts strange. The others look at me for guidance, and I am there for them. I cannot help them like Sierra did. But I can try. The families will return, and Sierra will not see them. But the ones you can't for will. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one, and until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.